Happy Sunday, everybody. It's good to be with you. I hope you had a good week. It's nice. The groundhog saw his shadow. So it's supposed to be winter, but it's not right. If you believe a rodent, then we're, yeah, well, that's one of the weirdest traditions. I always talk about my students. I'm like, guys, it's Groundhog Day. And I always tell the kids, like, listen, he's 100% right every single time. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, every single time. We totally trust our entire weather pattern for the next six months to a rodent that has been alive for a couple hundred years. It's not a different one. It's the same one for the last 200 years. <laughs> It really lets you know the state of our public education when my seventh graders are believing me that I say that. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, oh, it's nice outside. It's good. I like the sunshine. It's been great. We were um, been able to go and do a few things. I think I have some sort of allergy thing going on, so I'm like kind of congested, but hey, we're here. We're going to do it. So uh, let's pray really quick, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into what we're talking about today. Uh, Jesus, we... We come before you, Lord, we are thankful that you have given us each other, that you have brought together a community, Lord, unique in its um, um, population, God, unique in its thoughts, unique in its community, and we just pray, God, that today you would strengthen us. God, we we are um, built up by your grace. We are empowered by your grace, Jesus, in our life, and we pray, God, that you would speak and clarify today, God, um, one of these spiritual practices and disciplines that at times is confusing and it's, it's just kind of difficult sometimes to understand because it's not something we've emphasized. And so I pray, God, just that you would speak and you would emphasize what you would want to emphasize, Jesus, and that your Holy Spirit would be here with us and empower us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. In his book, uh, The Path to Character... A guy named David Brooks expounds on a Jewish scholar's analysis of the dual desires of the human heart. And while the rabbi announces these two aspects as Adam 1 and Adam 2, a title drawn from the two different desires Adam has across the Genesis account, Brooks goes one step further with these desires by explaining them as two different sets of virtues or high moral standards. And these two sets of virtues are resume virtues and eulogy virtues, okay? And we're going to show a quick slide of just some differences between them. And I want to stay up front. They're both good. Just if one dominates the other, we maybe miss a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about these virtues versus our resume virtues. Before we get into that, I was supposed to talk about this at the beginning, and I didn't. So, Michael, if you're watching, I'm really sorry. Uh, we are talking about spiritual disciplines, and we're going to define what the, we'll talk about disciplines more today. Um, we are in a section following uh, Richard Foster's book, A Celebration of Discipline, today. We're talking about the second of our inward disciplines, inward such that they are ones that happen internally, or they shape our internal being, and they're not seen necessarily by the outward world, or we're not announcing them to the outward world, all right? And so we're going to talk about fasting today. So before you check out and go, I don't, I'm not going to do that, so don't even talk about it. We should just move on. Uh, give me some time to do my introduction again, and then we'll, we'll do it, okay? So just kidding. Anyway, Richard Brooks's, uh, or, or uh, David Brooks's uh, uh, book, The Path to Character, and they have these uh, two different virtues. Let's take a look at that really quick. So here we go. Um, we have resume virtues which are such that we build, create, produce, and discover. The goal being to conquer the world, savor accomplishments. We talk about our strengths, achievements, proficient with Excel. Anybody else done that? I did that too, and I'm not. Um, Ambitious, successes, and uh, the goal is what can I do to make more money? 
be more successful and achieve more status. That's a resume virtue. And then the other side, we have these things called eulogy virtues, which are our inner character. What type of person you are, kindness, courageousness, honesty, faithful, how you foster relationships, and they're not visible. They're moral qualities. It's our sense of right and wrong, sacrificial love, and the question that eulogy virtues ask is, what is our greater purpose? Yeah, okay, make money, be achievement, pay the bills, but what more am I supposed to do with my life? And finally, how can I love more? How can I be more charitable, loving, and redemptive? And we live in a world that has a million books dedicated towards the development of our resume virtues or leadership qualities or things like that. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of books that are devoted to developing these, quote-unquote, eulogy virtues. Now, these virtues are called eulogy virtues because they are virtues that we would hope people would say about us at our funeral when they Googleize us, as Zoolander said. <laughs> the world's... I didn't get that until like way older. I was way older, and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, the words and ambitions and attributes that we hope our children, our grandchildren, our spouses, our friends, our coworkers, etc., would say at our funeral that they would have to dig the depths of their minds to find things they appreciate, that we wouldn't want them to do that, but rather they would have these virtues as the first thoughts in their mind. In other words, when you pass away, you want people to get up and say about how loving you were, how kind you were, how you faced things with courage, how you foster relationships, how you loved sacrificially. You don't want people to necessarily get up and say, man, one time he bought this boat, and it was an awesome boat. <laughs> and uh, he's actually buried in it. It's right there. Uh, it's right there with him. Um, we, we don't want that to be the case, right? Really, If we really get down to the depths of who we are, we want our kids and our grandkids and our coworkers to have the first thing at their mind that we were generous, that we were kind, we were caring. When we went through a crisis or our friends went through a crisis, we were there with them. We partnered with them. These have long-lasting quality to them. They're not temporary. They can't be taken from us due to economic hardship or a bad decision. They exist within us as part of who we are. Now, if we focus on the resume of virtues, this can lead us to our harm, to our physical well-being, but also to our spiritual well-being since the two are interconnected. As such, it also could lead to a great strain on our marriage, estrangement from our children, anxiety, animosity, and a lack of joy. And if this is the case, if focusing on resume virtues can cause this, what is the solution? The solution comes by deciding which virtues we want to feed, or in our case of fasting, what we choose not to feed. See what I did there? If we want to encourage and work towards these virtues, we need more of the Spirit of God in our lives and less of ourselves. But we need help in working towards that greater depth in Jesus. In short, we need practices that will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, drive us into a greater understanding of Jesus and his desires for us as his way of living. Anytime you want to improve on something, anytime you want to get better at something, you have to actually try to get better at that. I know that's like a mind, that's like a mind-bending idea, Okay? <laughs> If you want to get better at golfing, you're going to have to golf, okay, if you'd like that. If you want to get better at bread baking, in my instance, okay, 
You're going to watch a lot of baking shows, and you're going to buy a lot of books, and you're going to try it out. However, the issue comes that we have to also accept the fact that part of working towards something means that there's along the road, there's failure. There's issues we face. There's challenges we face. There's tweaking. There's nuances. There's situational developments. And what the freedom of the disciplines allows us to have about these practices that we're studying is they allow us to, in a certain way, sort of customize our life to them a little bit while also integrating structure, practices. Now, what I want to really quickly, before I move on, is just talk about when we talk about this word discipline. Now, when, I, when you hear the word discipline, what your mind immediately goes to, and what my mind immediately goes to, is punishment. Right? I say, I am disciplining you for something that you did. I am punishing you for something that you did. But part of like, my process in working through with education is realizing that discipline is a noun. It's first and foremost a noun. Yes, it is a verb, but if you look it up first, it's a noun. All right? It's a way to move towards a goal. It's a tenacity. Having discipline means working towards something. Having the tenacity to push through the obstacles to get through there. So when we talk about spiritual disciplines, we're not talking about spiritual punishments. No one's going to inflict these upon you. Oh, you better go pray, or we're going to find you, and it's going to be a big deal. You better fast, otherwise you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. No, this is why the inward disciplines are so beautiful, because they're asking you, what are you going to do? And Jesus actually emphasizes the idea, don't tell anybody about him. Don't announce it to the world. Hey, guys, I'm doing a fast. Just want to end up. Hey, guys, I'm praying a lot these days. Praying a lot. All right? A lot. A lot. Probably more than you are. Okay? And the process of understanding is that disciplines are supposed to be this beautiful internal reality, these inward ones where you're working towards something. And so what I want you to do is, is take the, the worldly consideration of the idea of discipline. All right? And put on this biblical idea of discipline, which is a noun, working towards something. I want to be known as somebody who's loving at the end of my life. What are you going to do to get there? Just pray and cross your fingers and hope that you become a more loving person? Okay? And then be discouraged when you yell at your kids? You go, I wasn't very loving. Well, I guess I'm not that figure out. Just keep praying, keep trying again, all right? Instead, we need to integrate into our life structure that helps us move towards this. These are tools that we all would understand that concept of having tools in our tool chest to help us achieve something. And so today, we're going to talk about a oft-neglected, sort of confusing, um, ill-defined at times by our world uh, concept of fasting. So if you would, take your Bibles and flip to Matthew chapter 6. Now, the title of this whole series is A New Way to Be Human. And here's the basic concept of this. We are human beings. We are made in God's image. I talked about that a few weeks ago, the idea of human dignity. Because you're human beings, you have value. You're made in God's image. And all of humanity falls into that, by the way. Every single human being ever created has that same identity, all right? They're all made in God's image, loved unequivocally by God, totally directional love towards everybody, people. This new way of human is saying that Jesus has invited us into a new way of living as a follower of Jesus. And maybe you've been following Jesus for a month, two years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever. At some point, you hit a crossroads in your life where you said, okay, what am I supposed to do? I know I'm supposed to love people. I know I'm supposed to like 
embodies some of these attributes of Jesus, but what am I supposed to do? How is my life supposed to be different from other people? When we come out talking about the kingdom of God, we know that God's kingdom is a new reality. So the question is, how do our lives start to show that new reality? And we're invited into these disciplines, and today let's talk about fasting. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, he's announcing his new kingdom, what it's going to look like. And in between a passage about prayer, which Brett talked about last week, that if we're honest, we're still all still convicted by And then he talks about anxiety and laying up treasures in heaven. And in it, he slips in this brief little note about fasting. Verse 16 of chapter 6. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites or mask wearers or actors or phonies. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, meaning that people praise them and think that they're great, and they get that. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, and we'll come back and we'll visit that verse, but I just want to introduce us to this term, fasting, Okay. And today our goal is just to answer three quick questions about fasting, just to give us a brief overview of it. And here are those uh, three questions. What is fasting and who fasted? Why is the discipline or practice of fasting important? And how do we fast effectively? When we say we're going to fast, what are we actually supposed to do? Like, what does that mean? All right, so we're going to kind of unpack that, but first let's start off by making a definition of what we talk about when we talk about fasting. All right, so here is the definition, a working definition, sort of, but has some, ta- some traction to it, of what we mean when we talk about fasting. To go without food for an extended period of time to give your whole self more fully to prayer. Like all the spiritual disciplines, prayer undergirds all of them. Prayer is an essential aspect of all of them. Either it's enhancing our prayer life or we're built up by our prayer life, and fasting is no different. All right? So this is our definition of fasting. So let's just answer a quick question about who fasted and what fasting is when we talk about it from a biblical concept. Now, if you will permit me, I would like to nerd out for five minutes. Okay? So you can, you can, you can play Wordle on your phone, I guess, if you want to, if you don't want to listen to me. Uh, See that pop culture reference there? I don't play world, but everybody's talking about it, so I figured I would reference it. Uh, so let's talk about just really quickly, just when we talk about fasting from a biblical perspective, what are we talking about? Here we go. Roughly 30 stories or passages about fasting in the Bible, and here's just a few highlights. Moses fasts before receiving the Ten Commandments. David fasts after the death of his child and about four or five other times in the Psalms. Elijah fasts while escaping Jezebel. Ezra fasted over the sins of Israel and they returned from Babylonian captivity. So he laments over their sin when they occurred during Babylonian captivity, but he's fasting after that. Daniel fasted for and prayed for an understanding of a vision. Jesus fasted after being baptized and before being tempted by Satan. Paul fasted on and after his conversion and for 14 days on a sinking ship. So if it's hard for you to fast, just remember Paul fasted while a boat was sinking. Church elders fasted in Antioch before sending out missionaries, and Jesus, Moses, and Elijah all fasted for 40 days. We would call it a supernatural fast. Okay, and they occurred something from that. 
And then fasting from these examples and the other examples falls into really three main buckets. This comes from uh, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. These are the three places we see fasting or the kind of topics that would fall under, okay? Number one, crossroads or defining moment. You're facing kind of a fork in the road. Uh, the missionaries at Antioch are, are sending out people to plant churches. That's kind of a crossroads example. They fast. Repentance, turning from sinful choices, 24-hour fast. Not about punishment, but about grieving over brokenness. That's a big key. Fasting is not a punishment. All right? If you choose to fast, no one's like, you're not punishing yourself. Okay? But the idea that if you're facing a sinful choice and, and, you, and you've been tempted by sin and you're currently going through a season where you're repenting of sin, then biblical fasting would say 24 hours to think about that, to repent of that. And then a crisis, a tragic calamity fast, something horrible happens, and the response to this crisis for unraveling is fasting. And then along with that, along with the crisis piece, really another side, which is a joyous occasion. Something great happens when you fast. What you see people doing in the Bible is they don't fast just because they want to lose weight or because they uh, they're really want to show God they're really serious about something. Instead, they fast as a response. Something happens. It's sort of called a sacred moment. A sacred moment happens. Good thing, bad thing, sinful habit, something like that happens, and they go to fast. It says immediately they go and they fasted. So fasting is not, what we would think about is just not eating and that concept that goes with that. But for the ancient Israelites and for, and for the people of Israel and for Jesus in the New Testament, it was really seen as a moment that you responded to something. And last but not least, there was never a hopeful response at the end. Okay? 95% of the time in the Bible, people would fast, and it doesn't indicate that anything happened as a result of their fast. In other words, they're like, I'm really serious about this. I'm going to fast about it. And then we hope that at the end, God takes us on a path somewhere. But if we're looking at the biblical idea of fasting, that's not the case. So if that's the case, then, then what, is, what is this thing, um, fasting? So throughout Scripture, we see a significant moment. In addition to these examples we listed of who's who list of biblical examples, we have also an impressive list of great Christians throughout history who have fasted. Okay, so there's a few of the many people that have mentioned fasting as a part of their belief. John Knox, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, David Brainerd, Charles Finley, Brad Pitt, George Washington, the Queen, <laughs> Meryl Streep, the World, the World Series winning 86 New York Mets team. Just kidding. You get the point, though. There's, there's a lot of people. Fasting is a concept that we've seen throughout church history, we've seen throughout the Bible, and so we know it exists, we know it's important, but what does that mean? Now, before we move forward, let's just quickly talk about two distinctions, okay? When we talk about fasting, if you're like me, the mindset goes to Lent. And you go, okay, 40 days, I'm not going to watch Netflix, or I'm not going to be on social media, or I'm not going to eat sweets, all right? And that's not necessarily what we talk about when we talk about fasting as a biblical concept. That'd be something called like abstinence. I'm just not going to do something for a season, either for a health reason or because you just want to discipline your way to not eat that anymore, whatever. That would be more of an abstinence, not what we're talking about when we talk about fasting, okay? And so it's important to make that distinction because I think for my life, most of the time, what I heard about with fasting was the idea of abstinence. You just go without something and you just kind of like deal with it. But fasting is a lot more profound than that. So I want to clarify that, that that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about fasting. And there's also this idea that Foster brings up called watchings. 
just like when you don't sleep to pray like through the night for something. That's also not what we're talking about when we talk about fasting. It's a different thing. Valuable, great, perfect, but not fasting. And fasting is a discipline that has been almost completely neglected by much of the Western church as a practice and to an extent as a practice at all. And as a result, this lack of familiarity, people have pointed to more of a legalistic demand as opposed to a freeing demand. There is no biblical command for fasting. So if that just kind of like lifts the burden off your shoulders a little bit, good. But just because there isn't a command for it does not mean that it isn't beneficial or that because we are free in Christ, we should not attempt something that is well-practiced and has tangible benefits for our relationship with Jesus. A good case in point is the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6. I want you to look at the very first line, chapter, verse 16. He says, and when... You fast. doesn't say if. It says when. And I don't think Jesus is making an assumption like, oh, I just assumed everybody was fasting, so why aren't you doing it? I think what he's saying is it was a commonly held cultural practice at the time. And certainly you look at the ancient times and other ancient religions, fasting is a core thing. So um, Jesus is announcing that this was a habit that people were doing, that his disciples were doing or practicing in. And that people of God and other people in that time were practicing it. And it goes on to say that he doesn't command fasting necessarily, but he does assume or make a case for the fact that we are doing it. His assertion is that God's people are fasting, and if they are fasting, there's an expectation for that. And again, later on, Jesus is asked by John's disciples about why him and his disciples don't fast like the Pharisees and the disciples of John, which is a totally fair question. Jesus responds with this interesting conversation when he states the disciples don't need to currently fast because God is with them, but in the future, they will fast in his absence. He doesn't say, thou shalt fast. He just says, they will. They will fast because it's going to be a difficult time. And he has this analogy of the bridegroom where he says, if the bridegroom is with them, it's a wedding feast, don't fast, enjoy it. But then when the bridegroom goes, when Jesus goes to heaven, you are going to fast. So again, it's not like he's commanding it, but he's also not saying, eh, don't worry about it. He's saying, this is important. I'm emphasizing it. So it's kind of this like strange question. Okay, good. Are you still with me? Did I lose all of you during that whole biblical like deep dive? Okay. Let's just take a quick break. Here is a squirrel water skiing. Everybody all right? Okay, let's move on. Here we go. Can you tell that I teach middle school? Is it obvious? Okay. Just in case you know, this isn't my day job. All right. Now, why? Why should we fast? Okay? Let's talk about that. After we clear up these misconceptions, one of the things I do want us to know that the very front end, we do not fast to show God that we're really serious about something. You're like, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get... When I was a pastor like six years ago, people would be like, before they would get engaged to their spouse, they would like fast. They're like, i got to show God I'm really serious about this. I'm going to fast. And I'm like, okay, interesting. I'm like, I, I, I've not fasted like, from like, like at any point in my life until the last like year. So maybe I missed the boat a little bit. I don't know. But we don't fast to show God that we have a really serious intention. God, I'm really serious about this. I'm going to fast about it. God, I'm really confused. I'm going to fast about it. 
That's not the purpose of that, like to show God that we are really committed. Okay? Also, God is at the center of our fast, and knowing him is the purpose of fasting. It is not to just accomplish fasting. If you do it just to accomplish fasting, you're just going to hate it. Okay? You have to do with the notion of, I am fasting to draw closer with God and understand his purposes more, his character more, his personhood more. You don't fast just to like do it to check it off the box. We can't enter into that religious practice of it. This needs to be stated first. Focus on God, and worship is the core of our fasting. Now, to put a big, overarching term onto the idea of fasting, why do we fast? He says that, I came up with this definition. It's kind of a morph of one of my colleagues' definitions. It says this, we fast to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Okay? Or to put it a different way, we fast to restrain the flesh. Wait, go back to that. I missed it. There we go. Restrain the, f- the flesh and release the spirit. Your physical body and your spiritual life are intertwined. They're not separate elements. Your body is the temple of God. God says that. There is a purpose behind your body as a physical state. Therefore, with fasting, we're invited to limit ourselves by not eating for 24 hours or an extended period of time with the purpose of releasing the spirit into our life more, understanding more of that. And through that deprivation of our flesh, the spirit of God rises up. And we'll talk about this more at the end when I'll share some examples from my own life. And I'm not supposed to talk about fasting, but I will, okay? So, Let's get into the nitty-gritty purpose of fasting. We take this overarching principle. Starve the flesh, feed the spirit. Restrain the flesh, release the spirit. Here's a few points, both from Foster and from some of my own research. Um, Fasting reveals what controls us. All right? This is not the same as just working through your hunger. Like, you know when you, like, work really hard for, like, a whole day, and then you go, oh, I didn't eat lunch today. Right. Right? That's not the same thing. Okay? That's just, you're a workaholic. I'm just kidding. All right, so (laughs) fasting reveals what controls us. It shows us what our heart really desires. And Foster says this, more than any other discipline or practice, fasting reveals what controls us, what is at the heart of our motivation, whether that's money or comfort or just simply having 30 snacks throughout the day, whatever it may be. He reveals to us what controls us. And the idea coming from the fact that maybe maybe when you're, angry during your fast, it's not that you're hangry, it's just that you're an angry person. And God is revealing that to you by limiting things that would appease that. Two, fasting reminds us of our limitations. Fasting is feasting. Foster says this, fasting reminds us that we are sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when we're fasting, we're feasting on God. Let's let that hang for a little bit. We look at fasting as having nothing and not doing anything, but when we are fasting and we're starving the flesh, we are feeding the spirit. And God is in our life and a different priority when we're saying, I'm not going to eat so I can focus on you. We're feasting on God, his presence. Three, Fasting helps us keep balance in our lives, much like any other spiritual discipline. Foster says this, our human cravings and desires 
are like rivers that tend to overflow their banks. Fasting helps keep them in proper channels. Okay? We have fleshly desires that our culture says, let them run bridled. You be you. Do your thing. Enjoy yourself. Live it up. You don't have any other life beyond this anyway, so you might as well drink as much caffeine, then drink as much alcohol, and eat as much stuff as you want, and live it up. But fasting helps us come back to a state of self-control. Remember, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's an emphasis of the New Testament, having self-control. Paul also goes on to state in 1 Corinthians that he puts his body into submission. Like he tells us that he puts his body under his control. He has that self-control. And fasting helps us understand that. And number five, fasting guards us from excess and leads us into appreciation. Our culture teaches us that if we want to be truly content, we have to obtain more and satisfy our desires, which is the juxtaposition of our culture. To be satisfied, you have to have this which is by nature saying you're not satisfied when you get this. There's always going to be a new car, a new house, something else you're going to want. He says, listen, right now, to be truly content, you have to keep satisfying your desires. He goes on to say, fasting like silence and solitude shows us we can grow in greater depth with God by going without. In addition, we live in an increasingly self-indulgent and semi-ungrateful society that solely focuses on our consumption in the form of media, Narcotic or dietary addictions. Our culture makes us feel insecure if we don't live for ourselves. Because if the self is the only thing we have, then to do fasting could be an attempt to serve ourselves through health benefits. And there are a lot of health benefits to fasting. Otherwise, it's not useful since all the flesh is the only thing. Why would you starve your flesh if your flesh is the only thing you have? But again, Newton Testament, kingdom of God. Your identity is different. This is a new way to be human. Therefore, the flesh is not the only thing for you. The Spirit of God reigning and ruling in your life, that is the most important thing to you. So it makes sense that if we limit our flesh, that the Spirit would rise more in our lives. Fasting not only teaches us the joy of disciplining our flesh, it teaches us how to properly value the joys that God has given us. We cannot fully appreciate feasting if we're not fasting. You know like when you have like a holiday meal and you go, well, I was doing paleo for the last like 20 months, but today I'm going to have four slices of pumpkin pie. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't do that. You do that. I don't do that. Um, but the, the process of being like, you learn to appreciate the indulgences when you spent your life being disciplined the other 90% of the time. I, I'm going like a running program right now. It's like a long story, but I'm trying to like run more and, and have a purpose behind it. You know what I look forward to most? My days off. Which means like, why am I doing this? I just, just could do that all the time. When you discipline your body and you're working towards something, when you finally take a break, you go, this is awesome. When you're fasting and you're not eating and then you like have a meal that night, you're like, man, this could be like melted cheese and rice. And I would be like, this is a delicacy. <laughs> like, keep it coming, all right? It could be just Kraft mac and cheese with pepper on it and I'm fine. Just keep it coming. I'll eat anything, all right? Because you enjoy it so much more because you've been going without. 
And so it kind of has this solidarity aspect where, like, if someone's going through a difficult time or doesn't, it has, like, a food scarcity thing, when you fast, you kind of start to identify with that a little bit more. Understand the value and simplicity of, like, just having a meal. Um, same thing kind of with Sabbath. You get to, like, live it up because you spent your time being disciplined. Okay? Good. We kind of understand the why a little bit more. You guys with me? No? Okay, we're going to do the whole sermon again. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back to the start. Okay? David Brooks in this book, The Path of Character. Just kidding. All right. Um, Good, let's take another quick break really quick. Here is a picture or a video of Bartolo Colon swinging a baseball bat. If it will work, let's see. If it yep. wasn't before, it is now. Okay, wait. Like chiropractic there it is. Nice. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Um, how do we fast? I show that picture all the time because he loved to hit. And you look at there's There's a still. That's textbook right there. For those of you guys who are baseball fans, that's how you want to end up with your helmet flying off, just totally committed, flailing at the bat, full send. Moving on. Okay. Now, last but not least, we'll wrap this up in a few minutes. We'll say, how do we fast? Okay. Now, I just want to really quickly want you to hear me on this. Here's a quick disclaimer about fasting. Okay. Again, it's not a command. So if you don't fast, there's no judgment here. All right. We're free in Christ. We have that freedom in Christ. So don't beat yourself up if you're like, I don't know about fasting. It's really going to work for me. Secondly, if you have a health condition that would lend to you not fasting, where fasting wouldn't be the best thing for you, you don't have, there's no obligation to do it, all right? If you're hypoglycemic or if you're diabetic or if you need to take food to take medication or you're pregnant, things like that, really be intentional about what, how you decide to do it, okay? Again, there's no condemnation. I want to make sure we know that. There's total grace in this whole thing. So if it's, not gonna, if, it's, if it's against your health or your doctor's advice, I mean, you should check with your doctor before you start fasting if you're concerned about that. All right? But don't feel like, oh, well, you know, I'm supposed to take this medication with food, but I'm supposed to fast, so and let's just see how it goes. Like, don't do that to yourself, and then, you know, if you do, then don't tell me, okay? I don't want to know. <laughs> email Brett. He'll deal with that, okay? Actually, you know what? Email Michael. Email Michael. Do that instead, all right? Email Brett and tell him how great he is, and then email Michael with the complaints, okay? Uh, quick disclaimer. So that's, that's our disclaimer. So... Um, here's a quick, just really brief how-to. And we talk about fasting. And again, I, I really would encourage you to get the, the book um, because he has a lot more detailed. Like, if you want, if you're like, man, I love fasting. I'm really digging it. Let's do like a week-long fast. He has some good tips about how to do that so that you don't um, run yourself ragged um, and how to like kind of come back from that. So I'm not there yet. Just so you know, I'm not there, all right? I am relatively new to fasting, I'm working through it. So a lot of the advice I'm giving you is sort of like a working, like tested, how did it go kind of deal. Um, and know that I'm, if you think like, wow, Carson must be like the fasting king. What a terrible title. <laughs> that one. Uh, the, uh, he's the best faster I've ever seen. Um, the, uh, I want you to know that it's, 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 it's pretty difficult to get started. Okay, but that, that difficulty doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that it's against what your body wants to do. That's the whole point of this whole thing. Um, so here's a few, like, four, four quick tips if you're like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to go try this, and then we'll have, like, a, a little send thing that we'll do. Um, I'll take kind of, like, a challenge we can do this week. So number one, plan and prepare, um, which is ironic because I am literally the worst planner, and I'm never prepared. So there you go. There's a little bit of vulnerability there. But to be effective in any of these disciplines, plan and prepare. Pick a day, pick a day, and say, I'm going to fast from dinner the night before until dinner that day. 
For me, I do this on Mondays. Um, I have dinner on Sunday night. I don't eat again until Monday night. That's a new thing. It's been you know, a few weeks in process, and there's a lot going on. Um, when you are planning and preparing, memorize. Take a scripture. Memorize it throughout the day. Meditate on an attribute of God or a scripture that you read. If you're going through a season where you've been confronted with a sin, spend that day repenting. Allow the freedom of repentance to be a part of your life. Or consider just praising God throughout the day. On Monday, I walk down the aisles of my classes while the kids are studying, and I'm praying for them. And they're working. They have no idea what I'm doing, but they're, they're doing their thing, and I'm inside. I'm rejoicing in God. Uh, choose what you will go without. Okay, obviously food is, that is the point. But are you also going to fast from media, or are you going to fast from coffee? How many of you could go right now a week without a cup of coffee? Well, Allie, you have to, so that's not really fair, okay? You have a kid, and it's the whole thing, right? I, I don't know if I could. I'm just going to be real. I don't drink coffee on Monday mornings when I fast, and I am a different person. Uh, it's shocking, actually. It's like I'm in a fog, like, all day. I'm just like, what is happening to me? Am I dying? Um, it's, it's really difficult, um, but it also shows you, like, if you need coffee to, like, every single day to get up and experience God, there might be a problem there. There might be an addiction there. And so it's praying through if you want to do that. But again, there's no condemnation. Just decide if you want to or not. There's people that on staff that we talked about fasting, and, and they drink coffee, and then they don't eat food, and I'm like, that's fine. You have to choose that for yourself. Definitely food, but what else are you going to do? So when I drive to work, I leave my headphones at, at the house. I, I just pray the whole drive into Prineville, and then I'm there, and I'm praying it the whole day when I'm there. Not the whole day, but you know, trying to be like, diligent about that. And then I come home without any media. That's a total disruption to my usual weekly cycle of listening to like endless audiobooks and drinking endless amounts of coffee. Um, and then last, or second, tell the least amount of people as possible. I mean, I tell my wife that I'm doing it. She knows that she can understand why I'm so cranky at the end of the day. Um, but also, don't make it a big announcement. Don't get on your Instagram and go, hey guys, doing a fast today. So leave me alone because I'm fasting. Uh, and then three, monitor your heart. Monitor what's going on in your heart. What's God speaking to you? This is where like a journal is really handy to like write down how you're feeling and your thoughts. Um, and then last, reflect. Like any practice, you have to think about how it went. What worked? What didn't work? What would I do differently next time? And I talk about this idea of doing a plan, do, study, act, or a quick win cycle. It's just going just really simply, okay, what I plan to do? How did it go? Do it, first of all. Study. How did it go? What was hard about it? What was difficult about it? What was challenging? What was great about it? Um, what, did you, what did God reveal to me through it? And then change it. Try it again. Have the freedom in your life to know you're not going to hit a home run the first time you go and do this. Just like Bartolo. You'll just be, whoop. Okay, that didn't work. Let's try again. Let's try something different. Okay? But as weird as it is, find a space to enjoy it. There's something satisfying internally about disciplining your body to not give in to like, its desires, to show your body that Listen, your desires, you're under my control. All right? The body is not regulating what I do with my life. I am deciding as a follower of Jesus what's going to be the priority. There's a certain part of that that's, that's great. And if you go to Foster's uh, book on page 58, it talks more about that idea and can give you more information about how to do more. So that's just a quick like how-to. Um, I'll tell you a funny story really quick, and then I'll wrap things up. Um, 
Why do I always tell stories at the end? I just want to do that. If I tell a story, it's going to be 20 minutes before I end. Uh, no, it's not going to be that long. Uh, on Monday, I went to school. I didn't drink coffee. I didn't eat. I wasn't listening to my usual podcast or audiobook. And I get into third period, and this really great kid named Anthony, I'm, I'm up on my computer, and I'm typing. He comes up to me and goes, Mr. Hickox, are you okay? He's like, you don't seem like your normal self. And I was just like, do I tell him that I'm fasting? Is he going to understand what I'm talking about? And I just go, yeah, I haven't had any coffee today. But it's like, it was shocking like how much visually the kids could see that I was not in my normal state. It's kind of shocking. You're like, oh, man, I need all of these different things to get through the day. And, and another quick reflection, one of the cool things about doing fasting is I've realized I don't need to eat like, continuously throughout the day to be happy. Like when I used to pack my lunch for school, um, I would stuff it with like every single snack I possibly could. And be like, just trying to zip it shut. I'm just like, I gotta get it, okay? So I could just like, oh, I'm gonna have a trail mix here. I'm gonna have a bar here. I'm gonna have lunch. And then I'm gonna have more stuff after school. Uh, and like the lie that I needed that to like get through the day, like I, just, I, would, I would literally be like, I just gotta get to my granola bar at 10 o'clock. <laughs> Whatever these kids do, who cares? I just gotta get to my granola bar at 10 o'clock, all right? Um, and then I would, then I'd get done with I'd have a really big carb heavy, like lunch, which of course, then I would need what to get through the rest of the day? Coffee. So I brew up some black tea and six periods, like I'm going to have my tea. I got my lunch. Oh, I got to have my tea. It's like every hour I could, I had something that would meet some need that I had. And it was realizing like, this might be a problem a little bit. And then I started realizing that caffeine stays in your system. Like if you drink, if you drink caffeine at noon, it stays in your system until midnight. So when you're trying to go to sleep, you're like, I can't sleep very well. Why is that? Oh, I had coffee at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. That's probably why I can't sleep. So then you wake up, and you're tired. So what do you do to fix that tired part? You have more coffee. And then you do the cycle again. You're like, this is an issue. So I stopped drinking coffee in the afternoon. I was like, I don't need that. I don't need to have that like, gratification. But also, like, I learned that like, I can limit myself. So I started packing a more simple lunch with less like, indulgences. I stopped drinking, I tried drinking less caffeine throughout the day. And the most crazy thing happened. I felt the same. I wasn't like, oh man, I'm missing, what? No caffeine in the afternoon? No granola bar at 10 o'clock? My life is not ruined? No, because we don't really need that. In fact, there are a lot of people throughout the world that don't do that throughout the day and still manage to survive. So as believers, I think we can do the same. So I hope that like through this, you just have a better picture of fasting. Now, obviously, you choose to decide to do it or not. There's no stress. Don't worry. There's, I want, of course, I want it for you. I think there's benefits to it, but I also don't want you to go out and be discouraged and go, oh, I, don't, I don't think I can fast. I don't think I have the means to do that, or I don't think it's the best decision for me, so feel discouraged. Please don't feel that way. That's not the heart of God at all. But if you want to invite it into your life as a way to discipline your flesh, to practice concerted, focused prayer, then go for it. Enjoy it. And so last thing, Quick challenge for this week, if you would, just go ahead and close your journals and, and close your Bibles, and we'll wrap this up. Here's my challenge for you this week. Health permitting, disclaimer, choose a day and fast just through lunch. Commit that time to praying through scripture, rejoicing in amazing events, singing a worship song or hymn, praying for an individual or your community, and then reflect how it went. What was something that happened that you did expect? What was something that happened that you didn't expect? 
and just write it down, piece of paper, journal, whatever. But I really want to encourage you this week, health permitting, to try that out. Just don't eat lunch one day, gut through the rest of your peers in your lunchroom, eating lunch while you sit there with your water and just kind of drink it really slowly and go, I don't know, this is fun. But think about it and commit to something. Commit to praying for something, rejoicing in something, thinking through something, and then reflect. How did it go? What would you tweak? What would you change? Just food this week. You don't have to worry about your coffee habit, okay? Um, but just to think about, to try this practice out. Try it on. And see how it goes. And, and that's really my challenge for you this week. I hope that the Lord meets you in that. I hope that you get to experience something really cool from that. I hope you also feel just like the great satisfaction of putting your flesh like under your control, even if it's for a short period of time. Um, I hope you enjoy starving that flesh and feeding your spirit. And that God would really bless it. So I'm going to pray for you really quick, and then we'll close it out. Jesus, thank you for today. Um, thank you, God, that you don't just release this into your life, and that's amazing, but you also give us some structure some backbone to help us understand like, what it actually means to pursue this and what it means to walk in this, Jesus. And um, I pray for us, God, I pray for the people today, this week, that as they go about their life this week, that those who decide to, to take this on and to, and to try this out, God, I pray that you'd bless them. I pray you'd speak to them. I pray you would comfort them, and I pray that you would give them truth, scripture, um, a great uh, word of truth to their life, God, in that they would really experience, one, just the joy of, of, of limiting our flesh, of disciplining our flesh, of putting our flesh under our control, but also the joy of being in this like constant state of communion with you throughout the day. May they take that step forward, God, and would you strengthen them and surround them with encouragement and cause them, Lord, to not find glory in just fasting, but find glory in you and pursuing you. Uh, Bless them this week. Encourage them. Give them strength. Give them peace. Um, Speak this week, Jesus. Um, In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.